We make decisions every day, but these days those decisions, big and small, can feel paralyzing. Welcome to Deciding Factors, a new podcast from GLG. I'm your host, Eric Jaffe. Each week, I'll talk to a world-class expert who has faced incredibly tough decisions and can offer unique insights to help you navigate the decisions you face. I am thrilled today to be joined by Neil Doshi, co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Prime to Perform, and co-founder of Vega Factor, an organization that helps leaders and organizations build high-performing cultures. I'm so excited in particular to speak to Neil because he's so thoughtful about how to think about motivating people. And for me right now, given the COVID-19 challenge and the additional layer of anxiety that we're all feeling, motivating ourselves and one another to perform is such a tough challenge. And I'm excited to hear what Neil's framework is for that. So please listen as Neil and I record from our separate living rooms and we dive into managing remotely and the art of motivating a team. Neil, awesome to be with you today. Really excited for this discussion. You are an expert on motivating human performance. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this line of work? Yeah, absolutely. I got into this line of work a long time ago. So about a little over 20 years ago, came out of college as an engineer. And I took a job at one of the world's largest financial institutions as a software engineer. I went into this job bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, excited, really thought I had an opportunity in this organization to make a big impact on the world. And what I found was within a couple of months, I concluded that I was deeply demotivated. I, mean, I pretty much hated my job. And the funny thing is I couldn't explain to you why. This really set me down this path of I needed to understand the science of a high-performing organization. Because as an engineer, if you don't understand the science, you can't apply the science, which is what engineering is. And so at that point, I set out to make it my life's work to build a science of high-performing organizations, a science that was deductive, predictive, quantifiable, so you can actually build an engineering discipline around it. About 10 years ago, we fully cracked the code on this. Uh, around that point, we started writing our book, Prime to Perform, which is fundamentally meant to be an articulation of the science of performance. And so now all I do is work with organizations, build their cultures, build their operating models to produce significant increases in people's motivation and thus their performance. Obviously, COVID and what we're facing gives us uh, a new urgency, I think, for understanding how to motivate ourselves and, and, uh, and motivate teams. I'm wondering if you could comment on, on that and then also how you know, our learnings on, on performance during this time of COVID could also be captured when we go back to a quote unquote normal work state. Yeah, this is one of the most interesting times, I think us as leaders of people in organizations are ever going to see. But this, these are the times why we are leaders. This is why leaders exist. As a leader, one of the things that is your responsibility is motivating your people effectively well. In this environment, that's actually going to get harder because of remote work and because of the anxiety of the environment around folks. And so for the sake of your own people, for the sake of their well-being, the purpose of a leader is to try to create an environment that inspires them. So that's, that's thing number one. Thing number two is it's not unprecedented for our economy to bounce out of an extreme crisis roaring. 
I mean, this is why the 1920s were called the Roaring Twenties. We bounced out of the Spanish flu with a decade of incredible growth. Given the fact that so much of our workforce is going to be working from home, how should we adapt our standards to this new work from home environment? Should we, in a sense, lower our bar because people are more likely to be going through something hard in their personal lives right now? It's a complicated question because what we're talking about is what is a good strategy for helping somebody deal with anxiety or fear or pressure that they might be feeling in their personal lives? People are going to feel like they are disappointing themselves, they're disappointing their loved ones, they're disappointing their families. If you're a breadwinner, that anxiety, that emotional pressure is going to skyrocket. That economic pressure, this fear of your livelihood is going to skyrocket. And inertia, like what's the point of doing anything, is going to skyrocket. What it comes down to is a basic understanding of how human motivation works that fundamentally there are a set of motives where when somebody has one of these motives, it means that they feel like they're in control. And there are a set of motives where people don't feel like they're in control. When somebody's not feeling like they're in control of their lives, driven by a lot of external circumstances, you have a couple of strategies here. One is to just let them be. The problem with let them be is you'll often end up with folks just wallowing in a fairly negative place. The other version of this is rather than let them be, you give them the opportunity to contribute and feel some meaning and purpose in their lives. What we find by and large is that that strategy works better. I'll give you a specific example. We have a colleague who is struggling with cancer right now. And I remember when we first heard of her diagnosis, our firm's initial reaction was, we should do whatever we can to eliminate all the work that she has to do. But then we started to think, you know what? She actually enjoys her work. Like she, she legitimately loves what she does. And she feels a great deal of purpose in doing that work. And so what we did was we instead made sure that she still felt like her work was valuable, that she still had an important role to play in our team, that that role could be played by no one but her. And we let her continue to focus on the parts of her work that she found the most enjoyable. Now, what we tried to do is take away anything that made her feel like she was less in control. So our routines, our rhythms, she can join them optionally. We increasingly did more of our routines um, at easy times for her. We actually decreased the number of routines that we had so she never felt like she was missing things. This is a, a healthier strategy for lots of people. All of us as professionals should aspire to and can benefit from our colleagues being more motivated, ourselves being more motivated. So how, how can we improve that? A lot of teams devolve very quickly to tasks. Like let's divide and conquer. Here are your three tasks. Here are your three tasks. Here are your three tasks. The rhythms that I create as a leader are about those tasks. Like we got these six tasks. Eric, you're going to do these three. I'm going to check in on Wednesday on how you're doing on those three tasks. That might give Eric, might give you the opportunity to do a little bit of problem solving and express a little bit of creativity in your work. But oftentimes that's not what happens. Oftentimes what ends up happening is you just do those tasks. If instead every week I said, Eric, what are the big problems that we need to solve this week? You shared your perspective. I shared my perspective. We made an agreement. Here are the problems that you're trying to solve this week. And what I did was I helped make sure that you were the one solving those problems, that you were the one that had the opportunity to think and be creative and come up with a solution 
and test that solution by just talking to your colleagues about it. And so it's pretty simple. Every team, every week should have a plan. That plan shouldn't be its tasks. That plan should be an agreement on the problems that each individual or each group of people on the team are solving together. Interesting. So set out the goals and give the team the flexibility to design a plan to achieve those goals, which would, in my mind, be compatible with the kind of new operating environment of, of working from home and people having perhaps a different structure to their workday where they're going to be having to navigate personal responsibilities, family responsibilities that they previously weren't able to. Given the environment we have today, we've got our kids at home that creates a whole lot of volatility in our workdays that make them far harder to predict. Now, today, when you look at teams by and large, most teams aren't really doing much problem solving. Most teams are in a task orientation. So just start with that. The teams that are doing problem solving, they're ones that are feeling like they can actually express their creativity. Most of those teams manage that through meetings. Every Monday, we've got this prioritization meeting. Every Tuesday, we have this problem-solving interaction, et cetera, et cetera. The problem with a meeting-driven way of managing problem-solving is in today's environment, it's just really hard to do because of all the things that you're, you're citing. So what you want to start to do is get people to learn how to solve problems without meetings. Like learn how to share with each other their thinking, their perspectives, their early hypotheses without having an in-person or face-to-face conversation. Now, this is very doable. But this is a skill set that not many people are really ever taught at work. But this is a perfect opportunity to teach it because these are the skills of the future of work. That fundamentally we're evolving into a, a world of working where the primary jobs that will be left after all the automation that's going to happen are going to be brought jobs of problem solving. We might as well use the opportunity now to get all of our colleagues and friends to the other side of that journey as fast as we possibly can. You know, one of the things that we're trying to do in this show is help managers make tough decisions and and give them a framework for doing so. And, And one of those decisions that could be on a lot of managers' minds are that tough decision to... Um, decide that someone shouldn't be a part of the team anymore versus continuing to try to develop them. Neil, is there any advice that you would give to a manager trying to approach that decision and the specific things that they should be considering when making a decision like that? Well, in, in this era of coronavirus, these decisions are unfortunately quite common. When we look at the organizations that we are currently working with to transform and improve their operating models, all of them have had to deal with this. The first question you had to ask yourself is when you kind of look at organizations today in the era of coronavirus, they're falling into one or possibly two or three of three different categories. Category one is they have to find a way to solve for their capital and cost structure to keep the company alive and keep most of their people employed. And these companies are doing pretty aggressive things right now around um, furloughing or pay reduction. Category two are companies where they have enough capital. They're not really considering laying off or furloughing. Maybe they're doing some pay reductions, but they're fundamentally trying to ride this out. And category three are organizations where, for a variety of reasons, this is actually one of the busiest times for them. 
they're growing, they're scaling, they have to hire people. As an organization, you should be clear-eyed on which of these three, or maybe you're all three of them, you are at any given point in time, and you should make sure your people know it too. One of the things we recommend from the, from the get-go is at this stage in the game, leaders and executives should be having relatively frequent all-hands calls with their colleagues. So there's no telephone game on any of these communications. That's thing number one. Thing number two is this choice around how do you, how do you save your firm is quite a local one. Like, is it furloughing? Is it laying off? But I'd encourage you to think about um, some examples of companies where what they've done is ask their people what they want to do. And oftentimes, folks are more willing to take pay reductions and keep their colleagues employed if that's an, if that's an option that's on the table. Put differently, as a leader, I wouldn't assume your colleagues wouldn't be up for that because oftentimes they are. Now, with remote work, the complexity of rhythms means some of the things that you might have done with lots and lots of meetings and kind of very hard and fast rhythms, you might need to do in a more relaxed way. What we generally suggest is a very basic mantra. Every team should have a plan. Now, this sounds like it's crazy simple. Every team should have a plan. But I find that not many teams actually do. In the work that we do with organizations, one of the first things I'll do is I'll, I'll walk around, I'll sit with teams, I'll watch them in their weekly routines. And by and large, what I find is about 50% of teams don't really have a plan every week. They're more or less just kind of winging it every week. And the other 50, their plan is here are the tasks that you're going to do versus here are the problems that we're trying to solve to drive growth. So thing number one is, as a leader, you should make sure your team has a plan every single week. That plan should be lightly held. It's not about task lists and you better achieve these task lists. It's really, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to solve this week? Take the work that you're doing, Eric, right now. You're building this amazing podcast and trying to um, create great content for your listeners. You could have imagined that you thought your plan for this week was um, record three podcast sessions and that's my plan. The other way you could have thought about it was my plan this week is to try to find a way to help my listeners really understand how they can lead their colleagues to better psychological outcomes during coronavirus. And that's the problem I'm trying to solve. And here's my, here's my first experiment. I'm going to try to interview Neil on a podcast, ask him some questions that I think our readers really want to understand and see if that will, will help. That subtle distinction makes a big difference, but step number one as a leader, make sure your team has a plan for the week that's not tactical, that really is a plan that gets them to think about that problems that they wanna solve. You gotta do that every single week. That's, that's the heartbeat of the team. Every Monday, share that plan with your team. Get the feedback, see if you can iterate it. But share that plan and just make sure your team feels excited about it. The only thing I would recommend beyond that is when your team needs to problem solve, do it ad hoc while everyone's working remotely. But give people the opportunity to really pull up quickly and often, either with you as a leader or with each other, just to share ideas. Build back that sense of, of ideation, curiosity, and play. When 
when you're working together and seeing one another in action, it creates opportunities to give live feedback exchanges where you see someone do something and you think maybe they could have done it better. You see someone do something, you think they did an amazing job. In this work from home environment, we're not always seeing one another in action. It may be rarer to see uh, one another in action. And so therefore, those opportunities to, to exchange feedback may be fewer. Any advice uh, on how to overcome that challenge? That's a good observation, Eric. When you watch somebody work, you tend to pick up a lot of things from them. Um, whether it is things that you can give as feedback or just tips, tricks, when seeing other people do their work, it's, it accelerates your learning. Knowledge workers, they're doing things like what you guys are doing. You're, you're producing a podcast, for example, gathering knowledge, finding a way to synthesize it, finding a way to teach it. A lot of knowledge work is done on computers. It's done on screens. It's done with technology. The thing that you want to want to teach your team is your goal as a leader is to make sure everybody is constantly learning, constantly learning how to improve their skills, constantly learning better ways to do their jobs. And the way, way you want to do that is by apprenticing. Now, what apprenticing means is when you're learning how to do something, you need to see one. You need to see someone else doing it. Once you've seen a few, you need to share a few, like work on something in concert with somebody else. And then lastly, you want to start doing them on your own. You know, we call this see one, share one, do one. You want to teach your team that is what apprenticeship is. See one, share one, do one. And because we're working remotely, this is actually much easier. So I now I'm doing this all the time with my teams. So I had a colleague the other day that needed to build a financial model that calculated how much productivity lift we would expect to see in one of our transformational programs. And he didn't really know how to do that. And I said, how about we do a C1? We'll get on a screen share. I'll pull up my screen and I will narrate you through how I build that model. You ask questions along the way, but this is the C1. I said to him, I'll keep doing C1s until you feel comfortable for us to do one together. When you feel comfortable with that, it's your hands on keyboards. You're the one screen sharing, and I'm narrating with you along the way. Mm. But this is a great opportunity for remote work right now. But I wonder if you have any tactical advice for, for those of us that have a tough conversation that we need to have with a colleague, given the backdrop of COVID and, and that concern that, you know, a tough conversation could, I don't know, push someone over the edge during what is already a very difficult time. Yeah. You recognize in the context of an organization, tough feedback or direct or honest feedback often gets taken the wrong way. You know, it's another way to think about this because I find that I've really, over the years, struggled in wanting to give people direct and tough feedback. And when I really unpacked that through the psychology of human motivation, what I realized was my issue was I felt like an imposter. Like, who am I to give this person feedback? The second issue is I'm concerned that that feedback is not going to be taken as learning, but it's going to be taken as judging. And because it's going to be taken as judging, their motives will shift to more economic and emotional pressure. As a result, their net motivation levels will drop. Their performance will suffer for a long while after that. The problem when things become difficult feedback is when someone's been working on their own for a long time, not getting any sort of check-in, not getting any sort of course correction, 
And after like four weeks of work, they do this big reveal and you realize that they're off the mark. The work we're doing now is so complex that you usually need a bunch of minds to help you solve just about any problem these days. And if you're not working collaboratively, checking in early and often sharing your thinking, you're not really learning how to problem solve. So step number one is you'd want to start early and often and teach your colleagues it's all about the speed of your feedback loops. A team's speed is a function of the frequency and quality of its feedback loops. But if they start to think about, if they're thinking all the while through that feedback, how is this going to affect my job? How is this going to affect my promotion? How is this going to affect my, my um, rating at the end of the year, my bonus? If the feedback is looked through the lens of the indirect motives, emotional pressure, economic pressure, and inertia, it will result in colleagues wanting to be more defensive, not really listening. But you need to make it crystal clear that this is about their development and really quite specifically their skill and their skill in driving impact for their customer. Everything that you just said rings true. I think we all respond when we perceive that we're learning something authentic versus being judged. As I think about it and to tie it back to you know, what we're going through right now, if you're present, you can receive that learning and, and give that learning. So that's, that's, I think, a great reminder of that. The pandemic's going to only heighten our feeling of being judged. And judgment is the enemy of learning. And so as a leader, you have to be a bit extra cautious. It is one of the reasons why we suggest to leaders now more than ever, check in on your people's motivation levels every end of week. Because it is a heightened state of anxiety right now, a heightened state of emotional pressure and economic pressure. And as a leader, you want to help your people through that. Like you shouldn't just let them be. But to help them through that, you need to know how to think about that to effectively have these kinds of conversations. Awesome. Well, that feels like a great note to end on. Neil, thank you. I thought this was a phenomenal conversation. I learned a ton and uh, really appreciated it. Not at all, Eric. It's my pleasure. So that was Neil Doshi, the co-author of Prime to Perform and co-founder of Vega Factor. I really want to thank Neil for his insight into how we can grapple with the emotional and economic pressures as well as the inertia that accompanies these tough times. It's clear that today managers face entirely new sets of factors in trying to motivate our teams to maintain maximum performance without getting burned out. For me, there's a couple of lessons I think that stand out that I learned from Neil today. Number one, leaders must step up during this crisis. It's incumbent upon all of us as leaders to create an environment that inspires our teams every day. And then secondly, I think we need to do that by shifting the focus from tasks to instead focusing on problem solving, a skill that will be crucial as the workplace evolves. We hope you'll join us next week for a brand new episode of Deciding Factors. In the meantime, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Or email us at decidingfactors at glgroup.com if you have feedback or ideas for future show topics. For Deciding Factors in GLG, I'm Eric Jaffe. Stay safe out there and thanks for listening.